Well, change is coming to the Pac-12, but there is still a basketball season to be played in 2023-24. And this could be quite a year out west for women's basketball. So get ready because you do not want to miss it. It is Pac-12 preview day right here on Locked On Women's Basketball. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello, friends. It is Monday, October 30th, 2023. Tomorrow can be either a very scary day for you or one that is completely annoying. We are going to let you choose. I am Missy Heidrich. Welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball, your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Well, you can follow me at Missy Heidrich and then be sure to follow this podcast at locked on WBB and then come see all of my amazing colleagues and friends at the next at www.thenexthoops.com. Well, a year ago, we knew this would be the last season for two schools in the Pac-12, USC and UCLA. But then the whirlwind started and the craziness began. It kind of felt a bit like a Wizard of Oz tornado that was ripping through the league. Well, now we're looking at what is to be probably the last season of the Pac-12 as we know it and has been for about 100 plus years. But this could be one of the strongest years in recent history for Pac-12 women's basketball. And we promise you do not want to miss it. So today we're going to break down the state of the league, preview the teams, the preseason polls, and the players to watch. Some of which you are going to know, but some which are not necessarily a household name yet. And here to do it with me is my amazing colleague at the next and a Pac-12 West Coast expert, longtime women's sports journalist, Michelle Smith. Michelle, you were at Pac-12 Media Days just earlier this month. Um, Before we get started and we dig into who's who and what we're going to see, just tell me a little bit about the vibe. What was it like there knowing that this was probably the last of what this is as the Pac-12 in its current state? Yeah, so it was an interesting vibe and it was a little weird, got to admit. Um, it was when people came to the podium, they did not want to discuss the last season. It was about what's happening, how excited they are about the year to come, how much better their teams are. You know, it's media day stuff, yeah. right? In the hallways behind where it was different. It was a lot of hugging and a lot of conversations and a couple of tears here and there. And just a little bit of like, yeah, this is, you know, the reality is arrived. Like this is, you know, this is going to be it for the pack, the pack as we know it. And I think that that's an important distinction because we still, you know, Washington State and Oregon State are still in court and still trying to figure out what their future is and whether they hold on to the brand um, and and reconstitute the conference in some way. And I hope they do. Um, because I have this theory that when everybody regains their sanity and football moves into its own thing and 
Um, some and the rest of the sports slide back into regional conferences that make sense. It would be lovely if the pack brand was still waiting for them. Um, that's my hope. That's my that's my personal hope. Mm -hmm. But it was just an interesting day. I mean, it was a good day, and it was a day in which it's apparent that there are a lot of good teams in this conference. I mean, it's not just you know getting up there and talking about how excited you are about you know the season ahead. It's understanding that the teams at the bottom of the conference are better than they were, and there are more teams. Or, you know, and there are more teams that I think are going to compete at the top of the conference than um, I think it's going to be a really tough year in the Pac-12 um, in multiple, in every sense, right? <laughs> Sentimentally, competitively, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting year in the Pac-12. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, and as we've said, it's how everyone ultimately has found a quote unquote home. They're moving to new leagues except for Oregon State and Washington State. Those are the two that are sitting there. So as you have those conversations and what you're hearing maybe on the ground, is there any new news as people are saying, what's going to happen to them? Because they still sit there without a home, both of which have football teams that are having a good season. This, yes. is, a, this is actually turning out to be a banner year all across the board for Pac-12 sports mm -hmm. and obviously a lot of eyes on football. But when you have two schools that don't necessarily know what happens next, those are a lot of question marks that sit there for Oregon State and for Washington State. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, I think that they expect to know what next year is going to look like by, say, January, mm -hmm. but they're in court. And that makes it really, really difficult for them to, they're not going to announce a move, whether it's, you know, uh, keeping the brand and pulling in some Mountain West teams, whether it's, you know, the Pac-2, which apparently the NCAA would let them do for a couple of years while they figure it out and, you know, figure out their conference schedule and almost play as independence, but keep the Pac brand. I mean, there's any number of things that could happen, but none of it happens until legal proceedings are over. Right. So, um, you know, so they're in court right now and they're basically suing the Pac-12 conference to maintain control of the league's assets as the last two remaining teams in the league. Um, and so it's, you know, whatever shakes out in court, I think then hopefully that gets wrapped up by the end of this month and they can start to chart the path forward. All but right. I would imagine recruiting. I'm sorry, Miss yeah, Andrew. No, recruiting and things. I talked to Cammy Etheridge, and she says everybody we talk to asks about where we're playing next year, and I don't have the answer to that. And that's yeah. not a good position to be in. No, it's not, especially when you have signing day coming up in just a few weeks in early November, you know, the early signing period of which your top talent across the country, most of it's committed, not a lot, you know, there's going to be a few left, but this class of 2024 is going to be inking, you know, letters of intent. And when you don't necessarily have a path that you can chart simplistically and show a young person, their parents, their guardians, et cetera, that makes it much more difficult. Um, all right, let's skip to the good stuff. Let's skip to where we are and yep. talk about the state of why this league, I think, is so good, really, from top to bottom. As you said, the ones that are picked toward the bottom, I think they will not have the season they necessarily will have. But let's start at the beginning. And you've got to go with the team that won themselves a regular season title a year ago, and that is Utah. And I feel like they kind of slid under the radar for a lot of the season last year. Not a lot of people paying attention, but they did what they did, and they win themselves a Pac-12 title. And then you go ahead and bring almost everybody back, including five starters from a team ago that was one possession and two free throws away from knocking off LSU and going to the lead eight. Talk yeah. about this Utah team and what Lynn Roberts has got going for this season. So 
you know, she's got everybody, she's got every, all of her starters back and that's a great place to start a season. Um, <laughs> you know, they were such a good offensive team. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, and I've always, and maybe we've even talked about this before, like offense wins championships to me. Like I just, you know, you can be a great defensive team, but you have to score and, yeah. and Utah can score. And Alyssa Peely was, when I watched her in her freshman season at USC, back in the day when she was at USC, she was the Pac-12 freshman of the year. I just looked at her, she is a problem. Mm-hmm. And then she transfers and she really gives Utah the piece that they didn't have in the post. Right. Um, and that really sort of completed what they're able to do. They have such great perimeter shooters and Meepkins and Kenny McQueen. And mm-hmm. they're just, they have it all on the offensive side. And yeah, they came really, really, really close. So to knocking off LSU. And so I think this is a really competitive team that flies under the radar no longer. And and I like in them, you know, so there rise a team, another team, that mountain trip, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's the other little secret part of it is that's a difficult trip for teams, Mm -hmm. any for teams in the Pac-12, that two game set, their travel partners, it's altitude, it's um, the weather's lousy, the travel, you got to fly to two different places. And now those are hardly throwaway games. You have to prep hard. And it's always been the case that when you have a strong travel partner in the Pac-12, it just makes you better because teams can't sort of semi-prepare for the not as good team that they're going to play and gear up for you, right? Like Mm -hmm. teams on that Utah-Colorado trip are going to have to prep for two really good teams. Colorado brought back, you know, they talked to Jalen Sherrod, their fifth year senior point guard and one of the best defensive players in the league and said, come back, let's roll this back one more time. And she said, yes, mm-hmm. they've got, you know, Ernest Von Ley, who was such a breakout for them last year. They've got Clay Miller. They've got, you know, um, Kendall Weta coming off the bench. They've got free to form. And like, this is also a team with a ton back mm-hmm. who also went to the sweet 16 and played really, really well. So in in the aggregate, the to have a couple of teams in the Sweet 16 wasn't the best year for the pack in terms of the postseason. But Utah and Colorado were the last two teams standing, and they're two really really good teams. And then yeah. you have Stanford, and you've got Stanford with Brink and Hannah jumped back for a fifth year, and um, Talana Lapolo is now a more experienced point guard, and they've got some good freshmen coming in, and they're Stanford, mm-hmm. so you know they're going to be good. UCLA and USC again travel partners, travel buddies who in their, this was going to be their last season in the pack, no matter what. Right. Um, before this whole thing sort of crumbled at everybody's feet, but you know, UCLA, it's got now they, you know, they grabbed Lauren Betts from Stanford. They've got Charisma Osborne, Kiki Rice, London Jones. Like this is a super talented team and USC has got Juju Watkins mm-hmm. and, you know, I, in the preseason players poll, Juju got a couple of All-American votes, but I had somebody whisper in my ear and said, there's not 15 players in this conference that are better than Juju Watkins. Just you wait and see. Right. So, um, you know, and Rhea Marshall. Like, so those teams, those five teams are going to be really, really strong. And then you've got Arizona, who's always knocking at your door. You've got an Oregon team that, you know, Kelly's going to get them to play well, and they've got a couple of really good young players. And I'm a little scared by Oregon State. Like, honestly, I mean, Oregon State is, they had a rough few years, but they had the freshman of the year in Reagan Beers. Tamia Gardner, who's there, was like the number six player in the country and then had to sit last year out because of blood clots in her lungs, which was super scary. She didn't sit out all of last year, but she missed the early part of the right. year and had to get herself back into game shape. And she's healthy and ready to go. Like, 
I, you know, Oregon State is scary to me. Washington's scary to me. Like, if you go down, all of a sudden you're talking about, like, a league that's, like, 10, you know, 10 teams deep. I think Cal's better. Yeah. Um, you know, they finished second to last. Arizona State's going to have a rough time because Ty Skinner is out for the season. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is really good. Yeah. Really good. Well, the top eight teams were voted the same in the preseason coaches poll and in the preseason media poll. So if that says anything about the consistency and I think what everybody sees in this league, that's a big piece of it. When we come back, we're going to walk through some of these teams. I want to dive more in with Michelle into UCLA. She mentioned USC and also want to talk about this Stanford team because there's a lot of questions and I think some answers that might be coming out of Palo Alto as well. But first, a message from our friends at Prize Picks. So, Prize Picks is a skilled based real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? Well, you pick two to six players, and if they will go for more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people, it's just you versus the projections available. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and the Sharks, Prize Picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. They offer recently improved deposit and withdrawal experience, including the option to use Apple Pay for quick deposits into your account. PrizePix offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. And you can offer projections on any sport that you watch at PrizePix. It could be MLB, the World Series, is headed tonight and tomorrow. It could be golf. It could be college football. It could be men's and women's college basketball. The NBA is back and the NHL. There are so many options for you today at Price Picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash NBA and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com, NBA and use the code LOCKEDONNBA, all lowercase, for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heydrich, and thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. The Locked On Ultimate NBA Season Preview is here, a six-episode series with all 30 of our Locked On NBA team shows. From contenders to tankers, we go in-depth into the biggest storylines heading into the season. So catch all six episodes on Locked On NBA on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. I am here with Michelle Smith, a longtime women's basketball veteran journalist. She is knee-deep in the Pac-12 and everything on the West Coast. All right, we've mentioned Utah. They're picked to win this league, Michelle, in both the coaches and in the preseason media poll. Second in line is UCLA and then at Stanford. Let's talk about the Bruins a little bit. It has been a while since they have had – it has been their last regular season Pac-12 championship was in 1999, and they have never been to a Final Four. The question is, is this finally putting together enough talent for Corey Close to not only be able to get herself a Pac-12 championship, but is this a team that can def- that can contend at the highest level and have a chance to get themselves to the Final Four? Potentially, yes. Right? I mean, so Charisma Osborne is now a fifth-year senior point guard. There's no, you, you can't trade again. You can't trade that experience at your, you know, at your quarterback position, basically. 
Um, Kiki Rice was one of the nation's most exciting freshmen last year and is going to be one of the nation's most exciting sophomores. I mean, she just can do everything. Yeah. Um, I think the key obviously is that transfer acquisition of Lauren Betts. Yes. Lauren Betts came transferred from Stanford, was playing behind Cameron Brink, wasn't playing enough, I think probably in terms of her own development. And that's likely why she decided to make the move, Mm -hmm. but they needed that was a missing piece for them a yeah. size inside a dominant post presence somebody who can alter shots somebody who can defend in the paint um and so i think that you know lauren betts and her development let's see how quickly she's going to develop now that she is going to get a lot of minutes and right. a lot of playing time and how that's going to go and i think that that's going to be key because what ucla needs is more inside out you know more more, more going on inside. Yeah. And so, um, and Betts is going to bring them that and she's going to play a lot. And so let's see how the nation's number one recruit from two years ago shows up. And it, you know, Corey's a really good coach and Corey gets people inspired sort of on the basketball side and on the personal side. And she's really, really good at that. But in order for them to do this, they're going to have to be a better offensive team. They're going to need more point production and they're going to need bets. Yeah, I think, and it's a team that plays fast. I mean, they've always been able to do that, to get out in transition. And when you've got players like Osborne, and you said Kiki Rice with a fantastic season last year as a freshman, so much of that was done in the open floor. But now if you can add a post player who can get out and help in that, but she is a difference maker defensively, I'll be interested to see how they use her on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. Because it's a fast game, because there is, you know, isn't necessarily a lot of sets, but this will be an opportunity for Corey Close maybe to take possessions to slow it down, to utilize Mm -hmm. her in the post. But the thing that you got to like about Bet's game is she can step it off too. I mean, that's a mid-range jumper. That's a short corner option. And that's really difficult to guard when you're 6'7". Yes, absolutely. And I think it gives them, you know, Emily Bessoir, I should say, you know, had such a good strong end of the season last year and is such a versatile player. Angela Duklich is back. She had knee injury. Like they have people. It's not just going to be bets by herself inside, right? Like they've got, they've got, so they've got a little depth on top of that too. So they can play fast. It's, you know, it's going to be bets being at that pace or are they going to adjust their pace to be able to get the ball and play through bets more? So. Well, one of the a couple of the tests early for this UCLA team, they're going to get three tough opponents when they go to battle for Atlantis, and then they go to South Carolina on November 29th. I feel like we're going to learn a lot, maybe, about UCLA at the end of November. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Stanford. As you said, bets she transfers out. They had graduation that did the piece, but this seems to be the Cameron Brink and the Hannah Jump Show for Tara Vanderveer. What stands out to you for Stanford? They're picked third right now in these preseason polls. Is there enough firepower there for this Stanford team to compete at the top of the league? Yes, if. And we know, so I'm going to, and I'm not going to try and contradict myself, but we know that Stanford is a good defensive scout team. We know that they will always play good defense. Yes. Um, They're not going to press you. They're not, that's not their style defensively, but they're going to play great scout defense. So that's going to keep them in you know, a lot, a lot of games. And we never usually worry about the Stanford offense, but it's going to have to come from interesting places, right? Like Haley Jones was, you know, kind of the director, the conductor, um, you know, Talana Lopolo's a second, second year. And I think that she's going to have to score more. Kiki Erie often to me is sort of the linchpin here. Um, you know, she'll a junior inside. She's got that sort of Ogumake style of play, like, yes. you know, just big hops, length, 
you know, she can, you know, run the floor, whatever. If Kiki Arioffen is hopefully making this jump up from last year that she, you know, that people are hoping that she would make, mm-hmm. that makes a huge difference for them. Yes. Um, and then, you know, Tara's going to play with a smaller rotation. And that's going to be, for her, I think, good and bad. I think some of the unhappiness that her team experienced last year had to do with having so many players on the floor, so many combinations. You know, she had, you know, she would say, I have 200 minutes to give out a game. And I had a lot of people who wanted them. Uh And and people got like, I'm not playing enough. I'm going to go try something else. I'm going to, you know, I don't like my role. I'm going to try something else, which is where we are in the new transfer portal universe, even at Stanford. Yes. So, um, <laughs> right. So it's playing with smaller rotation, playing with fewer players on the roster. Maybe she settles more quickly into who her base rotation is going to be. Um, her top freshman is Courtney Ogden, who I think can shoot the three two, mm-hmm. and that will take some pressure off of jump. We know, I mean, it was, you know, last year, Jones just didn't develop her three point shot and left a lot of, you know, and left a lot of defensive pressure on Hannah jump. Yes. Um, who can bury threes from anywhere, but had a lot of focus on her and key to keep her from doing that. And somebody else needs to hit. Is it Brooke Dimitri? Is it, you know, I mean, they need people who can hit the three and open up that game on the outside as well. And then they're going to feed break. Yeah. Um, and her playing three on three, I think makes her faster, more reactive three by, you know, I just, I think Stanford, I don't know about third. I mean, we'll see, I, yeah. you know, it's, I don't, they have they have to show some things mm-hmm. and they've got a couple of early they've got indiana really quickly yes. um which is going to be a quick game you know disappointingly they don't have tennessee that game has been on the schedule for them forever and ever and ever but they're going to play a really good non-conference schedule and we'll see about stanford yeah you're absolutely right november 12th and they host indiana they go mm-hmm. to palo alto and that will be one heck of a challenge you'll see mckenzie holmes from indiana yep. match up against cameron brink i think that is going to have a lot of eyeballs watching it. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about a couple more teams that are going to have a chance. Can they continue to make that edge in the Pac-12? But then also some of those players to watch. And there are some great games in Las Vegas on November 6th. So we are going to dive into those in just a moment. Well, first, we've got a score. You can score early in the NFL season, fans, with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I live in Kansas City, folks, and if you bet on the Chiefs yesterday, I'm sorry, but hopefully they'll be better in a week or so. But visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, it's the official partner of the NFL. Hi, everyone. Missy Heidrich and back here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. Thank you for joining us. I am with Michelle Smith, and we are talking all things on a Pac-12 2023-24 Women's Basketball Preview. All right, Michelle, one more team I want to dive into you with because I think they're very interesting. You mentioned Colorado earlier, and I really do like what J.R. Payne is doing there. I think that team, they're they're so balanced. 
But USC to me is incredibly interesting. And it goes back to kind of the philosophies and the ideas I think that Lindsey Gottlieb has had about what her program needs, what they can do. They knew they were in their last year of the Pac-12, regardless of everything mm -hmm. else that had happened. So they're thinking, you know, maybe in the back of your mind, you got to be thinking ahead a little bit. What would life in the Big Ten is going to look like for us? But this year, I find it to be interesting that – they were back in the NCAA tournament a year ago for the first time since 2014. You get turnover. She went hard to the portal with three players from the Ivy League, all who were very successful and very talented mm -hmm. Ivy League players. But then you mentioned Juju Watkins, and she's the 2023 National Gatorade Player of the Year. And that is where I think the eyes are going to be. Mm -hmm. What strikes you about Lindsey Gottlieb and what she's building there at USC? So what I think strikes me most about Lindsay Gottlieb, and I've known Lindsay for a long time, is that she's willing to shake up her roster year, at least these first couple of years. She's bringing in a lot of new players every year and, and, and fifth years and having some success with them. At right, But she's willing to shake that roster. Roster stability has not really been a thing at USC since Lindsay got there, right? Like, it's, yeah. But she's got, you know, she, but Rhea Marshall had a great year last year and was, a dominant player on the defensive end and then did her share of scoring. They too are a team that needs to score more. And mm -hmm. she knows that mm -hmm. this is, and that's what Watkins hopefully is going to do for them. Um, they held teams like 55 points a game last year. Like they were bad. We were using Beth Burns defensive system. They were locked down. And when you bring a lot of new players in, the easiest thing for you to do is make them a good defensive team. Yes. It is harder to find offensive flow and rhythm and people who play with each other and know each other well. And I'm not sure, I, you know, Watkins, I think, is going to be stellar player. And I think she's going to bolster them offensively a lot. But you're still bringing in a lot of new players who've not played before, who don't know each other well, who you're going to put into primary roles. So I still think SC is going to be a lockdown defensive team. But they are looking as they ramp up to go to the Big Ten and obviously to make some noise in this Pac-12 season. They're going to have to look to score more consistently and get more scoring from more places. And that starts with Watkins. Yeah, absolutely. And one other team, which we would be remiss because they did capture the 2023 Pac-12 tournament title, and that was Washington State. You know, they solidified themselves into the tournament with that automatic qualifier by winning the conference tournament a year ago. Um, two players on the preseason all-conference list. What strikes you about Washington State and yet a team that still, as we said at the very beginning, they are in limbo, can't answer questions for recruits, but then you've just got to put your focus maybe on the season and say, we've got to do what we got to do in 23-24. So what's interesting about the way Cammie Etheridge has recruited there, though, is she goes and gets a lot of foreign players, and they may be less worried Mm -hmm. frankly, about um, about conference affiliation than American recruits. Yes. I mean, honestly, right? Like, you know, I mean, she does a lot of international recruiting. And so, you know, she goes out and they find those foreign players and they bring them in and they put together, put them together on a team. And they may, that may benefit her in this period of uncertainty because they think those recruits may be a little less worried about that. Um, Charlize Ledger-Walker has been one of the best scorers in this conference since the moment that she stepped foot on the court. I don't expect that to be different. Some of the time last year in which Washington State struggled was a period of time in which Ledger-Walker was traveling back and forth to New Zealand mm -hmm. because her grandmother was ill and then ultimately passed away. And she went from Pullman, Washington to New Zealand. Let's discuss how you even get there from here. Yeah. Um, Right. But she did a couple of really long trips and missed some games. And I think yes. during that time without her on the floor, they 
struggled and then she came back and they really ramped it up toward the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And I think I was really excited about where they landed and winning that, you know, that was a feel good story for the pack too. I mean, Washington state has been, had been everybody's doormat for such a long time and to have them win a regular season championship and the Shania Twain song. And like, it was just really a feel good, but they're here for more than the feel good. And so, you know, they've got a lot of people back as well. And I think that they're going to be a dangerous team. Um, and the fact, again, I'm going to go back to my travel partner theory. Washington has improved as well. Yes. And that benefits Washington State. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you've got a trip, that is also a two-flight trip. Um, you know, unlike the Oregon trip and the L.A. trip and the Bay Area trip, you have to get on a second plane as a te- as an opposing team when you go make that Washington trip. It's winter. The weather's not always great in Seattle or Palm. Like, like yeah. there are multiple things that make that a tough trip. And when you have two good teams to prepare for, and you're SCN, UCLA, or your Stanford, Cal, whatever, right? Like that, that makes it more difficult. So I think Washington being better also benefits Washington State. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about some of the names that we find on the preseason all-conference selection voted on by the media, some which we know. You're going to see Cameron Brink, Hannah Jump, uh, Charlize Lager-Walker, who you just mentioned from Washington State, Ryan Marshall, uh, Kwai Miller from Colorado, Charisma Osborne. Um, Elisa Pilly, who is back again for as the from Utah, the the Pac-12 player of the year ago. But one player that I loved watching last year when I had a chance to see her, and I think maybe could be one of the most improved and make waves at Oregon State was the freshman and sixth player of the year last season in this league, and that was Reagan Beers. She's oh, yeah. a forward from Oregon State, and I tell you what, she's going to cause a lot of problems in year two. I think when people have to match up against Oregon State. I think so too. And I think with Gardner playing healthy and with um, Salia von Olhoffen, who is a basically, I think one, two, three, four, she might be a fourth year junior at this point, right? Because she <laughs> came in early for during that COVID year. Yeah. That's what, and, and Beers and Beers and Gardner together and Bill, Beers and Gardner, but Beers is just a big, tough kid. Yes. Like she just is, you know, she's physical and she is a problem. And she was, you know, she was the, Pac-12 freshman of the year. She played, she had a great freshman season. I'm again, I think Oregon State is lurking and they're gonna knock some teams off. One other interesting one for me, just one name from Oregon that is on this preseason Pac-12 all-conference team. Um, we know that there's a lot of others, and but Oregon has been one of those teams that has also dealt. Kelly Graves is always watching that transfer portal. It turns. It turns. Players go out and players come mm-hmm. in. Uh, Grace Van Sluten, the forward from Oregon, she's the name on the media preseason player uh, uh, all-conference team. But what do you take on sort of how – the reset has to happen every year in Eugene. And what does that mean? And how does that kind of, it seems to me that that when you do it such a hard reset almost every year, that it's hard to maintain some semblance of culture and system or what have you. That's a lot. It's a lot for the kids that stay in the locker room, but it's also a lot for the ones that come in. What's the vibe that you're finding out of Eugene? Yeah, I mean, it is. It is a reset every year. I think they're excited about Ben Sluton. I think they're excited about Chance Gray. I think Filipina Key inside was a good post presence for them. But they are churning. Mm-hmm. And that is a tough spot for the program to be, to lose Pow Pow and Rogers last year. Sedona Prince had said she was going to retire and came out and went to TCU, where former Oregon assistant Mark Campbell is the head coach. Right. Um, but that churn... I think it's, you know, I think it's holding them back. I mean, I think it's just, it's, they're not, they could be, should be 
you know, they should be busting up in that top three, top four in the conference. And I see them as a five, six, seven team at this point. Yeah. Um, because it's just so much turnover and it's, you know, and you can, you can land some great young players, but when you change the parts around them all the time, it's really, really hard. Well, and I would also think too, as we know, and it's going to continue to be this because they're all moving and going somewhere else, but those conversations with high school talent, et cetera, people that are thinking about signing now, the world looks different when I'm maybe from the West Coast or from the Northwest and, and Oregon's not going to be playing there. You're going to be playing in the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. It just looks different. And mm -hmm. we've talked about this before, about that student athlete experience, what it means, where it goes. But those are also going to become more difficult conversations, I think, for some of these coaches as they go forward because it just isn't the same. It's not a 100-year plus of Pac-12 tradition anymore. Welcome to a new place, welcome to a new world, and a whole new way to do it. Well, and you've got, you know, you've got you've got West Coast kids who said, I signed up to play on the West Coast. I want my parents <sighs> to see me play. I wanted my parents to see me play. I mean, say what you will. And we've talked about this before about the Pac-12 network, but it increased for women's basketball in particular mm -hmm. exposure exponentially. It made it really easy for if I'm a West Coast kid to say, I can stay home and play and my parents will get to see a lot of my games in person and they'll get to see all of my games on the Pac-12 network, right? Like right. it just really changed it. So, you know, who Oregon's going to recruit is probably going to change a little bit. I mean, that's going to go for a lot of, it's going to go for a lot of schools. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, Oregon just seems to be in this churn, churn and burn thing where they bring new people in, but they're bringing new people in also because people are churning out. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, and it's hard to know how to read that, but it means, it means what it means in this moment is top players who are transferring are picking programs where they think that they have a chance to win a championship. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're seeing it all over the place, like, right. Like people are leaving elite programs to go to the elite program that looks like it might be in a position to get them a title. And we were looking at that with fifth year graduate transfers too. I mean, we were looking at players that, Kim Mulkey was bringing in a Baylor and, you know, I don't want to get too far afield, but yeah. players are looking for an opportunity to win a championship and they are gravitating toward play, which is stacking, which is making, you know, which is going to make things top heavy. Um, you know, it's going to make things top heavy with LSU or South Carolina or whatever, where players who were really, really top players in their leagues go someplace else because they think there are four or five teams where they might be able to win a title. And, I think, unfortunately, in this moment, I don't think it's perceived that Oregon is one of those programs right now. And so people are churning out and they're bringing new players in. And that consistency is just holding them into the middle of this conference when other people are able to. It is roster stability that Utah and Colorado yes. have and why they are where they are and where they're positioned the way they are. I mean, you know, Stanford, right. for the most part, for the most part, has roster stability UCLA was able to hold roster spot, you know, hold, bring charisma back and keep its roster together. Like roster stability is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. And programs that don't have it are going to struggle. Uh, you bet. And it, you have to also say that roster stability and the buzzwords that we all talk about in college athletics, culture, locker room, in and out, those things are connected. And I think that says a lot and how they do that. Coaches are re-recruiting their current rosters mm -hmm. every day all the time 365 they can go find new talent in high school and it's the portal or junior college or whatever 
But if you can't keep the kids that are currently there, things look a lot different. And I don't want a single organ out. Arizona's in that same boat. Absolutely. Arizona's absolutely in that same boat. They have had a churn. They have had a definite churn over the last few years. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and they were a team that obviously they played for a national championship and they had Ari McDonald and they had, and now they are, now that roster is churning and they're dropping back down into the middle of the pack in the, you know, in the pack. That yeah. doesn't mean you're not going to make the NCAA tournament. It doesn't mean no. you're not going to be a super competitive team. And both of those things are true for Oregon and Arizona, but I do liken their situations to one another quite a bit in terms of their roster churn and what it's done to their position in the league. No doubt. And as we can sit here today, we can talk about preseason polls, but it will look nothing like this come March. We promise you, because it is not that simple. But the regular season does kick off in just a week. And there are two games that we got to talk about. They're going to Vegas. They're going to go to the glitz and the glamour and the shiny and the fun on November 6th, Monday the 6th, a week from today. Two Pac-12 teams on display. Colorado will take on the national champions in LSU, and USC is going to take on a very good Ohio State team. This will be the first splash, the first view that a lot of people are going to get of the of this year's Pac-12 women's basketball. What do you think happens in Vegas? Is it what happens in Vegas stays there, or are we going to be talking about it after? I don't know. I think that I, I'm really interested for Colorado because yeah. LSU is a team that's going to have to put a lot of new parts together and they're going to be yeah. on the floor for the first time. Is Colorado able to take advantage of the, the chance that LSU is cake that's not quite baked yet, right? Like, you know, yeah. and that's, and so I think that's a really interesting opportunity for me that J.R. Payne's got to be looking at. Like, yes. you know, they've got, you know, the defending national champs, but they've got Ben Lithin now, they've got Morrow and like, they've got pieces and they've got to figure out how to put them all together. Are they ready? And if they're not, Colorado will be. Yes. So that's kind of exciting to me for Colorado. I think there's just, there might be an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. And as far as USC, I just want to see him. I just want to see Watkins. I want to see him play. I want uh -huh. to see, I want to see if, you know, if this freshman is going to live up to the hype and I think she might. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think, you know, I, I think this is, super fun opportunity to see a couple of teams in very different positions. Again, USC, a team that I still feel like I don't know a whole lot of, I don't know a whole lot about, and we're going to learn about and Colorado, which is a cemented roster that's going to be taken on the defending national champs. I think it's going to be a great opening. I think you're absolutely right. And keep in mind, if you're thinking about LSU, they lost their point guard, Alexis Morris, who had played previously at Baylor for Kim Mulkey, went with her at LSU, averaged almost 38-plus minutes a game a year ago and led that team to a national title, no longer on the floor. That, to me, one of the biggest pieces she's got to figure out in replacing, and that could be where Colorado might have an advantage, is that their experience out front mm -hmm. can big, be a very big piece of it. And – Everyone is going to want to tune in because rumor has it that Coach Prime might be picking out what J.R. Payne wears on the sidelines, whether or not she's going to be able to compete with Kim Mulkey to be determined. So everybody, turn your TV on on Monday the 6th, a week from today. We all got to see what's happening, right? We do, we do. <laughs> all right, Michelle Smith, thank you so much, my friend. It's been awesome. Tell everybody where they find you so that they can not only get everything women's basketball, but also dive into the Pac-12 with you. Yep, you're going to dive in at the next. Next hoops. Um, it's going to be a heavy Pac-12, going to be a heavy dose Pac-12 this season, and um, hopefully it won't be too maudlin. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the best part is we're going to have a lot of great basketball that's going to keep our spirits bright, and I think that's going to be a really good thing. All yep, right. That's it. 
Well, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you to all of you for listening and for watching today. You can find me at Missy Heydrich on the X, formerly known as Twitter. Make sure to follow all of my amazing colleagues and this podcast at Locked on WBB. And as Michelle said, get over to thenexthoops.com and find everything. We've got you covered. Thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. For our everydayers out there tomorrow on the show, our fearless leader, Howard Megdahl, continues our college bas- basketball preview coverage and so much more. Happy Halloween, everybody. May your week be full of every kind of fun-sized candy that you can find. Be ready for the spooky ones, the scary ones, or just turn your lights out and stay inside. Have a wonderful week. All right.